Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the uncanny X-Men number 145, the May 1981 issue on sale February 17th of 1981. This one's titled, Kidnapped. And on the cover of this one features the most unlikely of villains, in my opinion. It's Doctor Doom. Why is uh, he the most unlikely of villains? Well, I mean, he's like a, he's a Fantastic Four villain and an Avengers villain. He's he's a Marvel Universe villain. Yeah. The X Men had to encounter him at some point. This is the first time that we're you know 145 issues in, and this is the first time that they're meeting Doctor Doom. When I was growing up reading comic books. I just never associated Doctor Doom with having anything to do with the X Men. He's like he's it's like Magneto appearing in the Avengers. He's just you know primarily yes, Doctor Doom is an FF villain, but he appears in everything because he's a major major villain. Yeah, I get it. But uh, yeah, so this is Doctor Doom's first appearance in the uh, Uncanny X Men, and he's holding a goblet of. Something in one hand and Storm, who's passed out, in another arm. And we've got in the background Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Angel all laying in various poses of unconsciousness. He's stepping on Colossus. <laughs> he is. Um, yeah, and that's about all there is to say about that. This is a Dave Cockrum, Dave, or Joe Rubenstein cover. So True that. John Byrne is gone. He has made his exit. It's official. <laughs> it was official last issue, but now it's official, officially official. Uh, so we open it up, and uh, it's kind of harkens back to the old uh, golden age of the X-Men, where the first panel is surrounded by pinups of all the X-Men's face. Says, and a couple of guest stars. We've got Storm, Angel, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, plus... Iceman, Polaris, Havoc, and Banshee. Whoa! We haven't seen those characters in forever. It's true. And the story starts out, I guess I should say, Chris Claremont's writing, Dave Cockrum, Joe Rubenstein are the artist, Joe Rosen is lettering, Glennis Ween is the colorist, Luis Jones is the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And uh, they are at the ballet. Well, actually, Storm and Stevie uh, are at the ballet. And uh, Stevie Hunter. Kitty on Kitty Pride's ballet teacher. And uh, we get a little bit of backstory again on Stevie Hunter. She was a prima ballerina, but then there was a tragic accident, and now she can no longer, I don't know, she doesn't have a career other than teaching. And uh, there is someone watching them arrive in a green hooded Dr. Doom cloak. <laughs> yes. And it may or may not be Dr. Doom. Well, I think they did this on purpose to make it seem like it was Dr. Doom. I think the breath, though, coming out of the character's cloaked head kind of gives it away because would Dr. Doom actually be emitting like a, a puff of steam out of his uh, costume? I do not know. <laughs> do you don't know the physics of the Dr. Doom mask, Adam? <laughs> no, no oh. idea. Okay. I figured like a scientist of his caliber would just be like, no, Dr. Doom does not breathe steam. So he has like a, like a cold inducer that <laughs> <laughs> alters the temperature of his breath as it comes out. 
So Stevie and Storm, they have like a box seat for the ballerina and they're watching it. I said ballet earlier, but it's the ball. Wait, the ballet and ballerina, that's all the same, isn't it? Yeah, ballerinas perform ballets. Uh, I'm thinking of like ice, but I guess they're all the kind of the same, aren't they? Those uh, ice ballerinas. Ballerinas on ice, I suppose, perform ice ballets. <laughs> wow. I guess I should say that I was at the dentist today and I don't know if all the Novocaine has worn <laughs> off. So uh, we might be in for a ride, folks. Uh, this is Professor X's private box, uh, and Kitty Pride had actually intended to take Stevie Hunter as a Christmas present uh, along with herself, but she's been struck down with a severe attack of flu, so she asked Aurora to take her place, and with reservations, Aurora accepted. Yes, as established a couple of uh, issues ago, Storm is a little jealous of how close Kitty and Stevie are getting. She has weird feelings about her, and she she even thinks to herself, there's such sadness in Stevie's voice, such longing. I want to reach out to comfort her, yet something holds me back. Goddess, what is wrong with me? Stevie is a lovely woman. Kitty likes her unreservedly. Why can't I? What does her uh, being lovely have to do with anything, Adam? You know, not not lovely as in attractive, but as in charming. Oh, okay. Well, in from the back of their box seat, uh, a familiar woman enters the uh, the door. When no longer wearing a green hood, we might add. Yeah, when the X Men. Well, uh, I'll save that one. All right. Anyways, so they're kind of uh, pointing and 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 smiling and very happy to be watching the, the ballet, and uh, that's when Miss Locke taps them both on the shoulder and uh, begs their pardon. Yeah, Stevie Hunter says, I beg your pardon? I never promised you a rose garden. <laughs> uh, Storm uh, says, who are you? This is a private box. So Storm never met Miss Locke on their last adventure, huh? No, I guess not. Okay. Well, she says, I am Miss Locke and I serve arcade. And Storm instinctively reacts by blowing a full-strength hurricane, knocking Miss Locke again back against the wall and making the neighboring boxes very cold. Yeah. They comment on it, too, and they're like, why couldn't they turn the air conditioning on last summer when they could have used it? Hmm, harumph. <laughs> so when uh, they were kidnapped last time, wasn't it from some sort of event similar to this? Uh, yeah, I believe it was probably the Russian ballet. Oh, okay. Same that's box, I wonder? That, that's just a guess because Colossus was there, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was probably the professor's private box. <laughs> Maybe, like, the fact that the professor didn't have a private box then and they were being led into a trap made the professor realize that he needs a private box. <laughs> to so solve, this could not happen again. Yes, to solve this kidnapping problem, I better get my own box. This way, the X-Men will know where my box is <laughs> at all times. Uh, so she she does that, but apparently uh, it does not do anything to Miss Locke. But Stevie Hunter notices, and she says, Aurora, you, you're creating a hurricane in here, but how? It's interesting. Uh, her uh, clothes that she is wearing is kind of like a uh, amalgamation of her costume, but it's not her costume. It's like black with gold trim. Yeah, and uh, it falls apart when she... <laughs> blows her hurricane. Mm -hmm. The headgear falls off. So, uh, yes, uh, Stevie we'll wants... We'll talk later, Stevie. I will explain everything. 
I hope, she thinks to herself. That was a warning, Miss Locke. And that's when Stevie Hunter passes out and uh, Aurora also begins to realize that she too is drugged. And Miss Locke says that she injected them with a poison when she touched them and they'll both be dead within minutes without the antidote. Storm wants to know why. She's wondering, is Arcade too frightened to kill them in person? But that's not what this is all about. And she says, no, uh, I actually need you, need your help. So I just wanted you to listen to me. So apparently, tying into uh, an episode of, or an issue of Marvel 2-in-1 that you recounted for us, Doc... Which they don't list here. Well, <laughs> they, they do. Marvel 2-in-1 number... Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, some number. Fill that in later, Louise. Darn it. I think it was number 75 or something. So what was it, the deal? Uh, Toad found Arcade Land and turned it into Toad Land or something? Well, Arcade uh, borrowed Doctor Do- one of Doctor Doom's castles and gave it over to Toad. Mm. And then Angel turned it into Toad Land. Oh, that's right. Yep. And so that made Doctor Doom very cross. So apparently Doctor Doom has kidnapped uh, Arcade. So He has sworn that Arcade will pay for insulting him. Doctor Doom is a man of his word. And I wish the X-Men to rescue Arcade and to make certain that Von Doom never bothers him again. To give you an incentive, I have kidnapped those dearest to you. The parents of Jean Grey, Moira McTaggart, Candy Southern, Amanda Sefton, and Ileana Rasputin, Colossus's sister. They are in Murder World. Man, she went all around the world to get these people. Heck yeah, she did. Storm falls to the ground, uh, passes out, and then wakes up later on. And she realizes that Stevie's gone and that she must also be another hostage. So that's when she takes to the skies and she says, Well, so I'm going to confirm whether or not Miss Locke is telling the truth. Uh, she can't realistically fly to Ireland or Russia, but she can head over to Amanda Sefton's house, which she does. And uh, he's not there, but apparently, or she's not there, but apparently she has a little stuffed nightcrawler, which is odd. Yeah, she must have that custom made. <laughs> She remembers that Amanda's mother is an awesome sorceress and that Amanda is a uh, is is one of no mean ability herself. She finds it hard that Miss Locke could capture her so easily. And referencing X-Men annual number four. And she also remembers the when the X-Men escaped from Murder World, X-Men one twenty two and one twenty three. And then she flies over to Jean Grey's house. Uh, at top speed, which causes a, a plane uh, to uh, hit a freak jet stream. It's cut our ground speed down to almost zero. That's impossible, but it's happening. Co-pilots are very surprised on this flight here. <laughs> so Whoa! She, <laughs> she lands at the Gray's house, and uh, she sees uh, that they are not there. There's a card with an A on it with... Uh, arcade's little signature a she comments about um how even though phoenix is dead the villains will continue to strike at the x-men through her family yada yada and she notes the holographic matrix that uh lalandra gave them which is a three-dimensional likeness of gene and also has the essence of her personality and in the first panel, it's smiling and happy, and as Storm leaves, it's very angry. Yes. As she leaves, it's very angry. So I almost wonder if this was, because it's such a 
front uh, uh, forward shot of the globe here, if maybe they were trying to put a glimmer of maybe like bringing her back to life through this globe. Maybe. But I, well, we'll see if it goes anywhere, but. We'll see if it at least lands in the letters pages. Right. What's the deal with the angry globe? The X-Men could not save you, Gene, but we can. We will save your parents on that. You have my word. So we flip over to the mansion where Storm has flown there to uh, let the X-Men know what is going on. And uh, I guess they must have called a beast at the Avengers mansion to see if they can get some files. The professor calls up beast uh, for exactly that, just for some files. Beast even offers to get the Avengers to help, but the professor says, oh, I'd rather keep this a uh, family affair or within the family. It's a dumb plan. Yeah. <laughs> the Beast literally offered to get the Avengers to help find their loved ones. If you were Nightcrawler, wouldn't you be like, yeah, I would like to look for Amanda, and I would like the Avengers to look for them too. <laughs> yeah, well, Nightcrawler's like, uh, he, uh, Dr. Doom is in Magneto's class at least. I heard of him while growing up in the circus. His name is known and feared throughout Central Europe. Even Amanda's mother, Margali, respects his power. Yeah. Nobody here really, like, Colossus is just yawning, like, oh. Colossus is wearing an X t-shirt. Yeah, so. Sweater. Alana's missing. Ah. Wolverine looks bored. Are there any donuts left? So uh, Beast decides that he will transmit the files on Doctor Doom, and uh, it must be midnight. That's why they're also tired. <laughs> could be, and he's out. They were all still sleeping and stuff. Yeah, there's a pitcher of coffee. Um, everybody looks Night tired. Colors in his robe. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Wolverine calls the professor out and says, "You're not taking Miss Locke on with her plan. If we..." Go do what she wants just to rescue our loved ones. It'll be open season on the X-Men. Everybody will be out there blackmailing them for whatever task they want, which is a good and, point. Uh, it is. And he's, uh, but the professor says, have you an alternative, Wolverine? And Wolverine says, trasher, permanently, and murder world. Get our people back and let arcade rot. We can't yield to blackmail. Um we can't protect all those we care for. We'll always be vulnerable that way. Our only chance is to stop it before it starts. We fake back. We make certain no one ever tries to get at the X-Men this way again by making the press of doing it too high to pay. It's got a, yeah, like you said, it's a good point. Yeah, and Storm agrees. Although it would make the X-Men murderers. But, <laughs> you know. Well, Storm agrees, and uh, the professor's kind of surprised, and he's like, oh, you speak as though you have a plan, Storm. Well, she agrees in part. Well, right. I mean, she. everybody knows that they have to get their people back. But I think right. she agrees that something else has to be done. They can't just go and rescue Arcade in hopes of getting their people back. They need to go and shut that place down. Cut to the Rio Diablo in the American Southwest. And we find Alex Summers and Lorna Dane, otherwise known as Havoc and Polaris, fixing a... What is this? The... Uh, to, uh, windmill. Yeah, it says here in the dialogue box that they were never—they never formally joined the team, so they were never officially X-Men, hmm. which is interesting. Now they're graduate students, each now co- completing fieldwork on their doctorates. They use their powers together to uh, fix the windmill, 
there was a rock slide that knocked it over. And just as, so, whatever, I don't want to nitpick too much, but Havoc's power makes sense, so he uses his powers to uh, destroy the rocks to kind of free the windmill. That that works, that makes sense. But then uh, uh, Lorna comes in, and this, this uh, windmill is all bent to, you know, all sorts of different uh, directions and shapes. And with the amazing ability of her power, she's able to completely straighten it and make it perfectly new. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what Magneto would do. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, I, I look at it like your mental, your magnetic powers or any powers that you have are just an extension of yourself, right? So if you, uh, being a powerless person, come across like a, like a bent, let's say a bent soda can, for example— there's no way using your hands or your or, or whatever you have attached to your body that you can ever bend that can back into a perfect can shape. You can get it close. You can get it cylindric. You could probably even get it so that it'll hold uh, fluid again, but it'll always be crinkly and bent. I would assume that the same would be true of at least Lorna. Like maybe Magneto, since he's like an advanced master of magnetism, but I would assume that when Lorna goes through this, like it would be up and it would be functional, but it should be... Uh, imperfect, whereas this is like a perfect well, reproduction of a windmill. Look at it this way. <laughs> if we were like holding the Coke can directly in front of our face, having repaired it, we could see the the uh, the, the, the fissures and the cracks, but if the uh, Coke can were as far away from us as this windmill is from us, from our vantage point, then we can't see the imperfections, and it would look like a perfectly fixed uh, Coke can. Got it. So you're saying that up close, this thing is pretty bent and beat up, but in a distance, yeah. it looks just fine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's really true at all. But, you know, I'm just trying to add some logic to, since you're since you're being super nitpicky, I'm <laughs> being uh, super reverse nitpicky. Oh, okay. Fair enough. The professor interrupts them as he does and says that they are needed. Professor, no, Alex and I aren't superheroes. We left the X-Men to live our lives in peace as much like normal people as possible. The professor says that if he had any other choice, he would respect that decision. But since he doesn't, he does not respect their decisions or them <laughs> as people. No, he doesn't say that last part. But he says that uh, Angel has gassed up and sent a jet out, and it'll arrive at their local airport in approximately two hours. Will you be there to meet it? We'll be there, sir. Havoc says, and uh, Lorna's like, thanks for making my decisions for me, you arrogant clod. <laughs> so, hmm? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, I forgot you were there. It is the <laughs> early 80s. I've broken you of that habit. <laughs> Whatever, whatever happened must be pretty serious for the professor to summon us so abruptly. Meanwhile, at uh, the eastern on the eastern seaboard, uh, Bobby Drake is just finishing a grueling all-nighter of studying. College sophomore Bobby Drake. He's got a Kiss album and what looks like maybe a Star Wars album, maybe like the soundtrack. Maybe, or maybe it's a book. I guess it could be. He's got a, like a naked woman in in the background there. Really? Oh, the one that's yeah. like stretching upward? Yeah. Yeah, it does look like a pinup. It's a total pinup. There's like three folds like in it. It's a centerfold. And it looks like there's a bra hanging uh, next to his lamp. Like he hung it on a trophy or something. <laughs> I finally scored with a girl. <laughs> I got this bra bronzed. I got me a girl finally. <laughs> that's funny. And there's, uh, who's that, like Gaddafi? 
in the next panel in, with darts all over it. In the next panel with, like, darts? I think it is. <laughs> so he'd been writing for 20 straight hours, but he feels like the end is pretty good. Uh, the dining commons won't be open for another hour, so he guesses that he'll finish off his last beer. So has he been, like, writing and studying all night drinking beer? Because that just can't lead to a good term paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe this is his first beer. Oh, the last first beer. The first of his whatever. So you know, he, it's his last beer, but he drank the first five yesterday. Got it. Before he started drinking. Adam, have you ever stayed up for 20 straight hours and then had a beer? No. <laughs> after staying up for 20 straight hours, I would generally go to sleep. <laughs> my, my my thought is is that after 20 straight hours of being up and doing work, like thinking work and writing and all that sort of stuff, the first sip of beer would instantly put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe we're just establishing that Bobby's a little older now. I think you're he right. Beer. I'm surprised, to be honest, that it's not like I'll finish off the last of my root beer. <laughs> but it's no, it's beer. Well, he's got like a little uh, stubble there. Yeah, he's, he's not older. He is not 16 years old anymore. Iceman, you are needed. Professor X, return to the mansion at once. I'll explain when you reach here. And that's it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, aboard a Concorde flight from, uh, well, England or probably Scotland. I would just like to point out that with Lorna Dane and Polaris, or with Lorna Dane and, and Alex Summers, the professor at least was kind of polite. Oh. But when it comes to Iceman, it's like, I need you. Boy, get your clothes on. <laughs> get Be <home>. here now. <laughs> So the professor astrally projects himself aboard this Concorde in which Sean Cassidy is flying on, and apparently he's already on his way to the States because Moira has been kidnapped. I know, Sean. She was not the only one. I'd intended to asking your aid. It seems you anticipated me. I've been looking for you everywhere. What the heck are you doing on this plane? <laughs> <laughs> so he says the Rolls Royce will be up to pick you up at JFK. Uh, Banshee also comments to himself that it's been ages since he has seen the professor do a telepathic astral projection and he looks rocky and it looks like the effort must have cost him uh, dear. So this has taken a lot out of him apparently. Well, yeah, because he probably went over to Muir Isle, was like walking around the halls like, <laughs> Banshee, Banshee, where are you? So on the next panel back at the mansion, Storm even comments like, Oh, you look so pale, Professor. What's wrong? I've been trying to mentally contact Scott, but I spent myself summoning the others. I lack the strength to reach him. Why didn't I start with him? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably better off than Banshee, who doesn't even have powers anymore. Maybe I start with the guy with the most powers and work down to the guy with the least powers. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Mental note for next time, I guess. So the professor comments to himself that there has been a subtle shift in the Earth's magnetic field, creating interference or a psychic static that is inhibiting his telepathic communication over long distances. So it's taking a lot of effort for him to make these communications. Yeah, he deduces that this can only be the work of one man, the X-Men's arch foe, Magneto. But why? Why now? Anguished, unanswerable questions add to Xavier's already considerable burden. Too much seems to be happening too quickly. Is it coincidence, Xavier wonders, or part of some greater design? 
And when crunch comes, will the X-Men be proved equal to it? Meanwhile, at the sun-drenched Caribbean, uh, a man who was once called part of the heart and soul of the X-Men, just part of it? <laughs> well, he's not... Like, Cyclops is not the heart and soul of the X-Men. He was just part of it. He was So part. basically, they were all part of it. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that make sense? That's stupid. <laughs> You're right. You generally don't refer to somebody as part of the heart and soul. I mean, unless they're talking about, like, Jean being the other part, and it's like the two of them together were the heart and soul of the X-Men. No. No. Couldn't he just be the soul of the X-Men? Oh, sure. Who, along with Jean who is the heart of the X-Men. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he's been washed ashore. There was some sort of shipwreck, and uh, his shirt's all torn, and his glasses have been knocked away from him, and he miraculously has not opened his eyes in all this time while being passed out. But as he, he slowly does open his eyes as he wakes up, he uh, he ends up blasting the ground and knocking himself into the air. Yep. With the the force of his deadly eyes. His deadly, deadly eyes. So I had to read this a couple of times because I'm like, wait a minute, what happened at the end of the despair uh, issue? Uh, and it turns out that these events are not tied together in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they Apparently, uh, it's implied that they made it back from the despair swamp back to the boat. They were fishing on the boat, and then a storm came up and knocked everybody overboard uh, all the men, Scott and Lee Forrester. So my right. only complaint here is that I wish we could have had like a panel. Because it was a little confusing to me. But then again, I'm kind of slow. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, was, I was confused in the sense that this isn't where we left off. But right. at the same time, I, was, I wasn't confused enough that I couldn't take more than three seconds to figure <laughs> it out. Well, even just like a little dialogue that's like months after, well, you know, whatever. Just something to like establish that this is not immediately following what you just saw last issue, which was all about Cyclops and Lee Forrester. And now you're seeing Cyclops washed up on a beach. It's just a I, it's a I abrupt transition. Well, you're smarter than me. <laughs> so it's even, like, without the, even without the text box that eventually would come to explain that. <laughs> You, you just figure it out by the fact that it doesn't follow exactly what happened. Mm, yeah, I'm pretty anal retentive when it comes to that, because these <laughs> things matter, Adam. Anyway, Cyclops has lost his ruby quartz glasses, the only uh, artificial shield capable of holding his deadly abs- optic blast in check. My eyes. So what he does is he rips apart the remaining shreds of his shirt, and he ties it around his face, in a, I guess, in an attempt to force his eyelids closed. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which, whatever. Does that seem like it would work? Uh, I don't know. I mean, have you ever had a, a blindfold on? I mean... You'd... Well, yeah, but I mean, does it keep your eyes closed? No. <laughs> Not so much, unless you tie it, like, super tight. Wouldn't he be, like, constantly blowing this thing off accidentally? You would think so, like, in a a moment of, um, I don't know, losing his concentration. uh, Yeah, he would, like, maybe a slit would crack in his eyes and he would blow this rag off of his his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's with this orange halo that he's got around his head? 
I, I don't I don't know if that's maybe to try to emphasize the sheer force he is using to keep his eyelids closed. I think that's what it is, yeah, but it looks to me just like some sort of a stupid mohawk. It looks like a, yeah, well, on the third panel here, it looks like a really poorly covered, um, uh, poorly colored Beatles haircut. <laughs> <laughs> but as it's lessening, so I think it's maybe just identifying that he's getting his powers under control or something, I don't know. But anyways. As he gets his blindfold in place, Lee Forrester shows up and says, Scott, oh, Scott, thank heavens you're all right. When the storm separated us, I thought you'd drown for sure. The new voice is Elites Forrester. And that's where we get a lot of the backstory. They became friends uh, over the short time that they've been working with each other. And here they are on this island. The bandage. Have you hurt your eyes? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I've had paramedic training. Let me take a look. Uh, no, deadly eyes. Uh, <laughs> no, please. Uh, believe me, Al, there's... There's nothing you can do. Don't call me Al. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, like, her nickname is Lee. Her name is Elitis, but Cyclops calls her L. Yes. I'll take the two names that I've heard already and call you a third name. <laughs> Next, he's going to be like, come here, Tiz. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh, are we? Somewhere in the Bahamas. So she says that civilization could be, literally be right around the corner. And if it isn't, we survive. If we wait for someone to find us, if the Coast Guard is on its toes, and if we're real lucky, we could be picked up today, tomorrow, anytime, or we could be here the rest of our lives. And you have to wonder if she says that happily or begrudgingly. <laughs> Baby cakes. <laughs> And so back at the mansion, uh, the professor, no, Storm divides the team up into two. Everybody's there, by the way, I should mention. Yeah, basically the two teams are the X-Men and all the other losers that the professor called. Uh, Polaris, Iceman, and Banshee, right, it is. (laughs) Yep. And Havoc is like, hey, we four have never actually operated as a team. Let's use the danger room to loosen up. What? Why is everyone smiling? And the professor has a... Oh, boy. What kind of face? <laughs> Just wait till you see. So they Storm takes uh, them to the danger room, which is destroyed. So it must have been destroyed in the battle with the Nagari, fixed for the Dazzler issue, and then destroyed again by another Nagari. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the continuity it, that I read. In both the... Uh, Oh yeah, they were they were battling and they, yeah, they, they were, were using it in the. They were totally working out, and Kitty came in and phased through the danger room and said, "It's time for the Dazzler issue." No, the Dazzler issue took place before the Nagari issue because no. Kitty Pride was all like, "I can't wait till I get to uh, test myself as an X Man." No, I don't and know about that. I'm pretty sure. Ca- caption said, "And Sprite soon will be able to in X Men 143 coming out this December." Mm, I think yes, that was I think I that was Dazzler number one, but Dazzler number two, whatever. I don't remember the X Men and Dazzler number two. Were <laughs> they still in the danger room? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Did Dazzler sure. number one take or number two take place directly after the events in Dazzler number one? Maybe. I'm gonna say that Dazzler number one and two happened before 143. Fine. Take all the fun <laughs> away from my nitpicking. That's what I do. <laughs> So uh, Storm explains that Sprite fought this Nagari guy last Christmas Eve, blah, 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 and uh, now the room is destroyed. 
And she goes to visit Kitty Pride, who still is suffering from the flu. I wish I was going with you, Aurora. Well, you can't. Just get better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Goodbye, Aurora. Be careful. Come back safe. So the A team takes off in the Blackbird, leaving the B squad behind, wondering, what are we going to do with Banshee? He's got no powers. <laughs> I told you, the loser squad. Uh, the Blackbird has had also been damaged, but Nightcrawler and Wolverine had worked night and day to repair it. Yeah. Those two highly well-known technicians. <laughs> it does say, though, they are very proud of their work, but even so, as the huge aircraft rises smoothly and silently into the air, both men cross their fingers. And Wolverine snickets and accidentally chops one of his fingers off. <laughs> Darn. Good thing it'll grow back. <laughs> it'll grow back. So here's where we get uh, some more mention of what the events of 2-in-1 uh, number 68. Oh, now they have the actual issue. Uh, apparently, the Toadland was a great success for a while, but then without warning or explanation, it was closed down. Visitors were turned away politely but firmly. For weeks now, no outsider has set foot within its towering walls until today. So I wonder what happened to Toad. Me too. In the the chamber of the or the common area of the castle or whatever you want to call it, the courtyard, a lightning bolt strikes and Storm appears, who says, I am Storm. I come in peace. She wants I to speak the master of this place. I would speak with him immediately. The guards are like, this is private property. We don't take kindly to trespassers. Get out or be thrown out. But that's when a metal leg appears and says, Vincenzo, I decide who shall or shall not be removed from my residence. I am doom. I rule here. I have a friend named Vincenzo. Yeah? Yeah. We, we, he, he's also, uh, in Italian, you can also call him Enzo and get away with that. Nice. <laughs> Vincenzo. So, Dr. Doom is from Latveria. Do we have a Latverian accent? I, I think you just did it. No. Was... I, am, I rule here. <laughs> I am Doom. I rule here. I understand you have some business with me, young woman. So, he's kind of wasn't, like a Swedish uh, hybrid. Wasn't Belki Barktakamus from Latveria? No, I don't, I don't remember where he was from, but it wasn't Latveria. I don't think Latveria is real. No, of course not. But I don't think the place that Belgi Bartakamus was from was real either. You are correct. I just want to see the Doctor Doom and Magneto in a Perfect Strangers mashup. <laughs> I'm surprised that that hasn't been done on like Robot Chicken or something. Perfect Strangers. Doom, did you leave the toilet seat open again? <laughs> I am Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, anyways... Storm says, you've got Arcade and I need him alive. So this is her plan, is to basically just do what Miss Locke wants her to do? <laughs> oh, wait, no, there's more to it. There is. Just like just that. Just like that? You, you demand. demand. <laughs> I suppose Doom refuses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then one of us will like pay. Doom's voice should be slightly deeper. Oh, just like that. Then do uh, you demand and Doom obeys. I yeah, suppose that's Doom refuses. We'll work on it. I don't know if Doom is Latverian, though. I don't. I. I don't. I'd have to read back in some of the older Fantastic Four, but I. I feel like he and Reed Richards went to college together. He probably just um, took. Yeah, he probably that doesn't make him not Latverian, but 
he probably just took over Latveria just to get the political asylum. Well, his he's Victor Von Doom. So what is Von oh. Doom? Well, I mean, that's kind of like a European cliche, isn't it? So he could be anywhere in Europe, basically. All right. So I'm good with your accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... I am not given to impulsive decisions. Shall we discuss the matter further over dinner? My chef says a superb table. Dares not do otherwise. Uh, Storm, who is ever so polite, uh, accepts the invitation, and they head off to the dinner table. Storm's inside the castle, says Angel outside, flying outside the castle. Um, he's pretty far away from the castle, and he's carrying Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler points out that he has very good eyes mm-hmm. to see so clearly from a great distance. And he says, "Am I close?" Uh, Angel says, "Am I close enough?" And he, um, Nightcrawler says, "Yeah." See you soon, my friend. And once again, they comment on the smell as uh, Nightcrawler bamfs into the castle, and Angel says, "Woof! What a stink!" <laughs> Just continuing to establish that it stinks whenever Nightcrawler teleports. With that distinctive brimstone stench, a crack of flame, and the bamf of imploding air, Nightcrawler teleports from Angel's arms into our hearts. (laughs) Nice. So he uh, teleports into the castle, and he thinks to himself, Surprise! Mein Herren. Which means... My man. Surprise, my men. (laughs) As he uh, clobbers his men, two guards, over the head. So far, so good, but I expected more guards. And uh, Wolverine shows up. Uh, Yeah, basically, Nightcrawler establishes this Mm. as a sort of landing pad. Mm -hmm. And Angel brings, one by one, Wolverine and then Nightcrawler. So I can buy Angel flying Nightcrawler in. I can kind of buy him flying Wolverine in. But it looks like he's flying in Peter armored. Well, it's kind of hard to Uh, tell. He's not armored because in the next panel it says, Ah, yes. Quartet sneaks deep into the castle. Colossus automatically transforms himself from fresh flesh and blood to organic steel. So he is not armored. The image just looks like it looks like he has flesh, uh, arms and legs, but his head looks very colossusy. Not Piotr yeah, Niklovich. Dave Cockrum's fault. Yeah, damn it, Dave Cockrum, draw better. <laughs> so they uh, they they comment. Uh, well, if Storm were here, she could pick this lock. We get a little backstory about how uh, Doom has is currently the deposed ruler of Latveria which I guess took place in Fantastic Four Annual 15. Mm-hmm. How he is, uh, he's had to keep a low profile uh, because he wants to keep attention from the feds. He doesn't have his diplomatic immunity, which he's always tossing around, so he can't afford to be breaking any laws, which, which Colossus is like, then why abduct Arcade? I didn't see he couldn't break the law, Colossus, just that he couldn't afford to get caught. That's why we brought this team of lawyers with us. <laughs> we are going to try the heck out of him. <laughs> so the door that they are at, that uh, they wish they had Storm to pick the lock, uh, uh, Colossus just decides that since she's not there, he will punch the door down, and they do. And this is supposed to be Arcade's cell. 
I don't, do they have like a map of the palace? I have no idea because it doesn't say like arcade is here or nowhere in the <laughs> plan. Was it like, well, we think that arcade's held on the second uh, turret side, so go there. So they're just guessing. Maybe Miss Locke had some inside information. I don't know. Between panels, she's like, yep, it's on the north side. I don't know how she would know, but I don't know how she does. So they get in, and then uh, Wolverine's like, oh, I've had a feeling this caper was going down too easy. I think we've been suckered. I think you're right, Shorty. So this is some, I think they're humans in here, but it's battle armor that was designed to take on the Fantastic Four. What hope do you freaks think you have? We ain't the FF, bub. We're the X-Men, and we don't trash easy. Well, we used to. In fact, our first 10 issues, we really didn't do much of anything. But we're getting better. And a lot better. <laughs> As Wolverine changes, uh, charges, he extends his often-mentioned retractable adamantium claws from the backs of his hands. And uh, as we've mentioned several times before, they're razor-sharp and capable of cutting virtually anything. All he has to do is get close enough to use them. Adam. In this case, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. But every comic book could be a kid's first comic book. I know, but guess what? It's not. So I'm <laughs> going to keep making fun of it. Also in the panel above, uh, Colossus is purple. Oh, yeah, he is. That's that's bad. <laughs> huh. So uh, the guy, uh, well, Wolverine tries to use his claws, but this uh, battle-suited guy blasts at Wolverine. Blasting all his clothes off. Yep, in the next panel. Like, it's actually, like, kind of, his clothes are, like, rolling down off of his butt, if you take a look. <laughs> it's he's, he's got one glove on and one boot on. And then it's... <laughs> I've never been so embarrassed. This is like when Kitty caught me changing the plumbing in the kitchen. <laughs> butt crack hanging out all over the place. I could use a beer. Guys, stop looking at my wiener. <laughs> well, that, based on this image, looks like it's covered up. It's just his butt that's hanging out. Not all of my bones are laced with adamantium. <laughs> Ew. So <laughs> Colossus rips off a piece of chain that has like a big metal piece at the end of it. I'm not sure if it's like a design or whatever, but he uses it as like a, um, well, as a mace, basically to whack at the battle-suited Doom guy. He hits hard and does absolutely no damage. By the White Wolf. Hmm, perhaps we should have surrendered while we had the chance. But since we didn't, Nightcrawler says Angel, let's take him! And so they, they all attack in formation, and we switch over to a very Empire Strikes Back-looking dinner table. With Darth Vader sitting at the edge of the table, and uh, I don't know, let's call it Chewbacca sitting at the other end. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess Leia was at that dinner too, so we'll call Leia. Well, nobody was. It was just, I mean, it was just Doc. It was just Darth Vader sitting alone in a room. There was no food at the table. Wasn't there? I'm sure there was food on the table. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'd have to rewatch it, but I don't think there was any food at the table. I mean, it wasn't like this. There wasn't like turkeys and like fruit salads and stuff. But they just walked into the room, and it was empty except for Darth Vader and Han Solo shot and got his gun pulled away from him by the Force. And Doctor uh, Doctor Vader Dr. said, Vader. Uh, <laughs> "Darth Doom said, <laughs> take a seat, <laughs> Bub." <laughs> 
All right. Well, it's a terrible drawing of Doctor Doom, but he is sit- sitting there at the dinner it's table. A horrible drawing of Darth Vader. <laughs> yes. What was he thinking? Uh, and he he's actually starting to talk about how charming and beautiful Storm is. Storm is actually like, oh, I'm actually enjoying this, and Doom is a fascinating man. She's regretting that her sole purpose here is to keep Doom occupied while my fellow X-Men find and free Arcade. They should have reached by cell, his cell by now, as we use some unknown means to figure out exactly where Arcade was being held. <laughs> Doom thinks to himself, Extraordinary. Storm seems drawn to me as I am to her. Lioness to lion, queen to king. She does not fear me. She should. She will. And on his side of the table, on the other side of the what looks to be deliciously prepared pig, are two video screens featuring Angel, uh, I think, being attacked and Nightcrawler teleporting. Yeah. I've been monitoring her companions since they entered the castle. I'll deal with them at the proper time after I've dealt with their lovely leader. <laughs> And that's when Angel says, Teamwork, X-Men! Don't fight them one-on-one. Confuse them. Turn their weapons against them. I should know. To which I say, who is this? <laughs> yeah. I used uh, I know this because I've never done this before. Because every time in the past when I take them on one-on-one, I get my butt kicked. <laughs> Cyclops generally shoots me. <laughs> so that's why we started doing the teamwork thing a little go, bit ago. He gets snagged, but he realizes that, well, he is immobilized, so is his opponent, and here comes half-naked Wolverine. He's yours, way ahead of your wings. First I'll cut you loose, then I'll open up this tin suit and punch the lights out of whoever's inside. We don't really ever get to see who's inside. No. Another battle-suited person uh, snares Nightcrawler with a net. Our asbestos nets have snared the demon. I'm not sure why they needed to be asbestos. We wanted to give him mesophilioma. <laughs> and protect him against fire, <laughs> which we're about to hit him with. So the other Doom bot, thing, it's not a Doom bot, the Doom suit uh, shoots. They says, shoot him. So they both shoot at the netted nightcrawler who teleports out of the way, and they end up shooting each other. And the instant they do, Nightcrawler, with a jaunty grin and a wave, teleports. Yep. Three down, one to go, and all of the X-Men are moving in on it. And he takes one look at Wolverine's schlong, and he's out of there. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I was okay with all the costumes, but then the naked one with claws came at me. It was more than I could handle. I'd rather face (laughs) the wrath of Doctor Doom. He prays his master will understand the necessity for his strategic withdrawal. I just did air quotes. <laughs> Despite the fact that there was a naked one, he should not have been a coward. Uh, I would teach the him. Coward the... evidently feared the, the X-Men more than me. I must teach him the error of his ways. Throw a little preacher in there. <laughs> his punishment should prove a sufficient object lesson for his comrades. In Doom's service, there is only victory or death, never defeat. You're throwing in some Inspector Clouseau. I think I am. (laughs) You are not my only guest, Storm. I don't know where. I'm all over the place with this Doctor Doom. Allow me to present Arcade. I believe you know each other. So we talked about 
this couple episodes ago. We're gonna do country western. Uh, that Rumpelstiltskin. And what did Rumpelstiltskin sound like? Wasn't he like I? He was like this or something. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> something. So he's like that with a southern drawl. That's a fact, Vic. No. No, that was, I thought I thought those were pretty good, except for Vic. Though I, don't know why he would, I wouldn't say Vic. Vic, though we've never been formally introduced, how do yeah. sweet thing? I think that's pretty good. All right, we'll go with that. That's a that's a, that's a much better arcade voice than whatever we were doing in the past. You, a guest, not a prisoner. And then she thinks to herself, "No, it's it was a trap from the very from beginning." From the very beginning, and she led the X Men into it. How could she have been so blind? Admiral Akbar warned me of this. <laughs> and so she shoots uh, Dr. Doom, and Dr. Doom's like, an admirable try, Storm, an admirable plan as well, but I am Doom. What has Doom got in his hand? Well, I don't know, but it is like a uh, power egg that if you are just kind of like watching the comic book unfold, you think that he caught it out of storm and then like hurled right. it back. But I don't think that that's actually what is happening. I don't know. He's so he's a tech technology. He's, he's got his battle suit, right? And his battle suit has a bunch of like abilities, but he's also a master of the arcane. So maybe he conjured up this mystic egg. So he throws the mystic egg at, uh, Storm, who notices that it's tracking her and she can't evade it, and the winds she's generating around can't blow it away, and it hits her, strikes her in the arm, and her arm goes numb, and uh, her hand turns to chrome, and slowly but surely her entire body turns to chrome. And there she is, stuck in kind of a no pose. And at that moment, the rest of the X-Men, a naked Wolverine, Colossus, Angel, and Nightcrawler burst through the wall and are about to have a go at Dr. Doom. They should have uh, they should have put her in the Han Solo carbonite pose. <laughs> yes, they should have. But all Dr. Doom needs to do is clench his fist and all of the X-Men except for Colossus fall away unconscious. They are a very brave arcade, but a very foolish. I almost feel sorry for them. And Colossus says, uh, feel sorry for yourself, Butcher. Your energy weapon had no effect on me. I am going to rip your armor from piece by piece, Doom. And when I am finished, it will be your turn, Arcade. And he apparently just walks right up to Dr. Doom, who grabs him by the face and uses a neural disruptor to uh, give him, uh, uh, to uh, scramble the motor neurons of his armored body. And it looks for all the world that Colossus gives that uh, classic scream that you hear in all those movies. Oh. The, the Wilhelm scream. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> One day I'm going to dig that up and we're going to insert that into the podcast, even though everybody knows what it is and it's been well over. We're going to find a way to insert it in like every episode. <laughs> the effect is temporary, but until it wears off, you'll be completely paralyzed. And as much as a living statue of Storm, you have entered the Lion's Den X-Men and you will not leave it alive. Next issue, Murder World again. Yay! I love Murder World. Don't you, Adam? Murder World's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's as long as it's different. 
Yeah. Not the giant pinball table. Right. I'm sure it won't be. I hope not. <laughs> so there you go. Uh that was that was the that was that. So in the letters pages we learned that the X Men won a bunch of uh awards. Um the Eagle Awards. Which we were wondering what they were. Um and apparently they are voted by comic fans of Great Britain, so now we know. Oh, well, there you go. And uh, there are some pretty deep letters about John Lennon being shot, being compared to when Jean Grey died. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not as important, but still kind of heartbreaking in a way, I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, the one thing I like about the last few letters sections is that it's firmly locked these issues into time, especially this one where he's talking about uh, comparing the death of John Lennon and, Dar- and Phoenix are probably not in the same category or league or anything, but it's still he like... Doesn't really, he didn't say they are. But. No, but uh, I don't know. Just even... Well, I, I read the letter too, and I, I like the fact that it locks everything in time and that apparently, I mean, definitely the guy who uh, was writing about it definitely had a great passion for John Lennon and was... I, I think this letter was just like, any way that I can get my feelings out about John Lennon is something that I'm going to do. And he, it, was a, it was a good letter. And yeah, Chris yeah. Claremont like responded. I don't remember what the exact response was, but it seemed good. The dreamer dies. The dream goes on. Yeah. And we get another letter about uh, Nightcrawler's comment of about Wolverine's discussion uh, about how Wolverine only takes life in defense of himself, and Nightcrawler says, "Yes, but does that make it right?" And then they start talking about Buddhism versus. Uh, Bodhisattva? Uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that either. Um, the enlightened versus the unenlightened or something like that? The one who refuses enlightenment until all others are enlightened. Right. And um, Chris Claremont talks about how he has thought greatly a great deal about uh, Auschwitz and before he got sidetracked as into comics... He'd set out to become a historian and political theorist, which explains a lot. It does, actually, yeah. Although I, I, um, I find it funny that he says before he got sidetracked into comics as though he's he'll return to his roots one day. Well, I was just watching uh, a Stan Lee biography on Netflix the other day, and he says that during the 60s through, like, the 90s, like, working in the comics industry was, like, not something you bragged about. It was just something to do to pass the time until you got, like, a real writing assignment. But apparently it was so much fun that, like, looking for those other opportunities kind of took a backseat to, like, creating more comic books. And so Stanley actually said, like, my name is Stanley Martin Lieber, and uh, when I started doing comics, I wanted to do Stan Lee because when I hit the big screen, when I was a movie star, I wanted to save Stanley Martin Lieber for that. I didn't want to use this crummy comic book written name for my screen name. So, and now he's in every Marvel movie. <laughs> well, yes, he didn't real. Well, obviously, he didn't realize what would become of him. You know, forty years later, fifty years later, but. I would imagine that Chris Claremont also, at this point in his career, was like, this is a great way for me to uh, increase my vocabulary, stretch my imagination, and really come up with some fascinating ideas for that novel that I'm going to write or that screenplay I'm going to write. But then he did X-Men for 30 years or however long he did it for. 
Uh, he has written some books, though, hasn't he? He's written a, uh, a number of books. Yeah, he wrote that book with George Lucas that yeah. we talked about last episode. So, anyhow. And I'm sure he's written other stuff as well. There you go. That's my theory. So, uh, we got a, a letter uh, in the email yeah. from uh, Nico Yuki, who says that it was so awesome to hear their own review uh, read over our podcast, and you've no idea how awesome it is that my iTunes review was read during the final installment of the Dark Phoenix Saga. You guys said I wouldn't hear this for a couple of years, but it was July 2nd that I heard this a little more than two months since I initially put my review, so suck on that, Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess he showed us. <laughs> I uh, listened to your... Well, it could be a she. Oh, that's true. Nico. I guess I they... Nico is generally short for like Nicola. Well, I guess yeah. I guess Nico N E K O is generally female, so this is probably a male. Anyway, um, I listen to your podcast every day going to work, coming home from work, and during breaks during lunch periods. What really shortened the gap was driving from Minnesota to Iowa over three days, twenty hours of driving, listening to nothing but this podcast. Oh, jeez! Thank you both so much. <laughs> this podcast really helped me keep my sanity. Uh, the first step is thinking you're sane. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. As it was my first road trip as the driver, and I was in the car alone the whole time, so it was really a nice feeling like I wasn't the only one in here. It was almost like we were in the back seat. Wow. Well, he didn't say that. Well, I right, that no, I... It won't be long until I'm caught up, especially now that Classic Aspen is out of the picture, and I can't wait to see or hear what you guys have in store for us during the 80s X-Men. Question, what's going to happen when you guys get to the beefing up of the X-Franchise during the mid-80s? Solely stick to Uncanny or cover any and every X-Title there is, was, or ever will be? Answer, you damn well better, dot, dot, dot. Damn well better what? Cover them all, I think, is what, what, what is being implied there. Maybe maybe he's saying we damn well better solely stick to uncanny X-Men. <laughs> oh, well, that could be too. <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I think he is implying that we should cover it all. The answer to that question uh, is not clear to even us at this point because... Yeah, we'll figure it out when we get there. It, it, it starts off as kind of like a... I mean, the, the growth of the X-Men franchise is a slow, but uh, once it grows, it, it goes crazy, right? So how, how could you... How could... I mean, it would take us, you know, uh, three months to get through like one month of X-Men comics doing them the way that we do them currently. I think we'd have to alter our format to be like headlines from like the six X-Men issues from this month. And then at that point, I feel like you lose like the intimacy of like what happened in the issue. On the other hand, though, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, certainly with like New Mutants and X-Factor, those stories were like separate from the uncanny X-Men. But there's a point when all of them kind of blur together. So it'll be interesting to see if any of that intimacy is still there when there's all of that other noise happening. So I don't know. You'll find out along with us. How's that sound? Uh, Ian, meanwhile, uh, why don't, I mean, if you're out there listening to us and you have an opinion on how you think we should do it, let us know. Uh, there's no guarantees that we'll we'll do it, or if we get enough votes that we'll do it that particular way. But if you think we should do, like, we're never going to do more than one episode a week. So <laughs> well, you we'll, can't we'll put that, that out there. If, if, uh, if another movie happens to correspond with a storyline that we're in, then we'll do or, more than one right. in a week. But 
Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, we're never we're never gonna do ideally more than one review a week. So if we do do like do do, if we uh, <laughs> if we attempt to cover the period when there's X Factor, Uncanny X Men, and X Men, then we're like we're doing we're alternating like one issue uh, like every every three weeks we get back to the same story. And are, would people be into that idea or uh, just let, let us know what you think. Yeah. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll take all of your opinions into account and uh, maybe, maybe you'll have a really good idea that uh, we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. That we haven't thought of. And we got time though, everybody it's only issue 145, and it doesn't start sprawling out for at least another 50 issues. Yeah, and you guys never do what we ask us to ask you to anyway. So yeah, you could leave a voicemail and tell us what you, you could, think. but no one ever does that. Well, that's not true, Adam. <laughs> this week what? we we did get a voicemail. What? And and let me show you how easy this is, everybody. Adam and Jeremy, I am very excited to be calling in. I have spent the last month and a half listening through the entire back catalog. And I, I have just reached episode 122, so I'm calling a little bit prematurely, and I hope I don't make a fool of myself by addressing things that other people have written in or called about. But I'll say first, you guys have, have improved substantially over the course of the podcast. You should be very proud of yourselves there. It's amazing how much better it gets over time. But I'm calling about the Miss Marvel storyline, which you correctly identified as creepy, it is famously called The Rape of Miss Marvel. And um, one of the things I think you guys will enjoy when you reach Avengers Annual Number 10 is Chris Claremont also saw it as incredibly creepy, and that's what that annual addresses. So you'll find it very satisfying if you found the whole Miss Marvel's mind control and the Avengers are cool with that. Weird. The other thing is Mystique and Destiny. You had some questions about that. Mystique and Destiny are lovers, and they were intended to be so from their first appearance. That was always Claremont's intention. He couldn't explicitly state it, though, at the time, because you weren't allowed to have openly gay characters in the Marvel Universe in 1980. So, the original intention with them was not only that, but Mystique was to be Nightcrawler's father, and Destiny was to be Nightcrawler's mother. So, that was how embroiled that was and then Rogue was just adopted because she had run away from home and apparently Mystique has a thing about children or at least using them that's all I'm really enjoying the podcast um, as I said it's, it's amazing how how you can see the improvement if you listen to all 120 plus episodes in a month and a half um, keep up the good work thank you so yeah that's a uh... That's as easy as it is to leave a voicemail. Another example, 120 uh, episodes in a month and a half. That's, uh, that's craziness, don't you think, Adam? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's craziness. I'd say it's dedication. Oh, oh well, yeah, I suppose that's, that's, that's definitely one way to look at it and the only way that one should look at it. Um, so the, the Miss Marvel thing, we'll just kind of keep our ears to the ground on that one. Uh, I've mentioned it before. Uh, I am a big fan of Avengers Annual Number Ten, but I have not read Avengers Annual Number Ten in probably ten, fifteen years. So it's all going to be uh, 
uh, uh, familiar, but it'll also be new to me as we read it. And as you're covering the stuff that you're covering, it'll be interesting to see how all of it comes together. So that is yeah, something to look and, forward to. And I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Well, I'm <laughs> glad he didn't give it away because I, I don't know what, what he's talking about. So, and, uh, and Yeah, and he's right. It's uh, Chris Claremont nails it as far as the creepiness factor goes. Sweet. Um, other than that, uh, do we get any other communications this month? Uh, no, we didn't. So if you'd like to get a hold of us and join in on the fun, you can do so by emailing us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. You can go to facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast, or you can go and follow us at dangerroomgo on the Twitters, or you can go out to iTunes. You can go into the podcast section, search for Danger Room. You can subscribe to us from there. You can leave a five-star review. You can leave a comment. Or you can go to www.xmenpodcast.com. All of the episodes are there for your perusal, and you can leave a comment there. And plus, all the uh, connection details are, are at that website as well. And we're also available on Stitcher if that is your thing. So plenty of ways to get to us. Uh, and, of course, you can always uh, give us a phone call. Uh, you saw how easy or you heard how easy it was. That's a 501-GET-X-MEN. Again. Did, that, did that listener give his name? The listener did not give his name. I have his phone number here, but I won't give that away. <laughs> Actually, this may not be his phone number because uh, maybe Google like munges it up because it doesn't look valid to me. But anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to give out the phone number, uh, but we don't know who it was that called us. So thank yeah, you. So so if you want um, if you want people to know who you are, let let us know. Yeah, but uh, or yeah, not, you know, it, it can be it can be give a call. It can be uh, done in total anonymity. It don't matter. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. So with that perhaps, said, perhaps he did it on purpose. Maybe he was like, I don't want these people to know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I read Dazzler number three this past month. Oh, did you? I did. And uh, Dr. Doom has been a busy man because he also graces the pages of Dazzler number three. Okay. How does that go? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty boring, actually. <laughs> Uh, what happens is uh, Dazzler is at the Fantastic Four Bachelor, uh, Bachelor Baxter building, and uh, Reed Richards is testing the limits of her powers. That goes all well. There's Fantastic Four hijinks abound, including uh, Johnny Storm dropping a big piece of machinery on Thing's feet, and he's all mad at him. <sighs> Good times. Uh, Human Torch wants to go out on a date with Dazzler, but Dazzler's like, oh, Johnny's cute, but he's way too flashy for me. Uh, but so she'll just be his friend or whatever. She's also getting ready for a gig tonight um, at the UN where the Jewels of Doom are being displayed. Uh, also tying into the Doom, uh, the deposed Doom storyline, apparently... The person who deposed him is Prince Zorba, who led a revolution, which cost Doom Lat the Latvian throne. And apparently Dr. Doom went insane for a little while. So he's been laying low. Uh, but now the, the, the Zorba guy is going to put those jewels on display at the UN. And apparently they're going to have a rock concert open up <laughs> uh, the 
the Doom Jewels presentation. So she goes over to beat, uh, meet the Harry Osgood, the, the producer, that guy's like, time is money, money is time. And he's setting her up with this gig and setting her up with a bodyguard, and she's all happy. And then she's like, hey, how much does this gig pay? And he's like, nothing. It's PR. Now get out of here. So she's still like, I'm broke and hungry. <sighs> so she goes and she visits her father, uh, her nana and her father. And she goes, uh, Nana is very happy to see her. Uh, her father's like, finally, you have fa- decided to follow in my footsteps. And Dazzler's like, nope, I got to me, me. But I miss you and I love you and I don't want this to become uh, a thing in between us. And her dad's like, well, if you're not going to do them my way, it doesn't matter. And I don't want to see you anymore. So her dad's a real jerk. So Yeah, he's like a Professor X level. Yeah. <laughs> he's worse though i don't know why at least the professor like i don't know let them live there anyways dr doom is not very happy about the doom jewels being on display so he's got a plan to go get them and meanwhile uh dazzler's being set up with the creepiest band you've ever seen people with green hair and red stars on their face and this afro man who's got like white streaks through his afro it's very are and uh as they're getting set up for the concert a couple of uh stage hands let in some quote unquote groupies because they want to get some autographs but it turns out that those groupies are bad people hired by doom and uh dazzler's bodyguard goes out to stop the commotion but he gets himself beat up dazzler then has to swing into action and she dazzles them and meanwhile she's make she's late for her stage uh on stage appearance harry osgood's not very happy about this and he's like where is that girl she's going to be done if she's not out there in five minutes meanwhile dazzler's fighting all these bad guys and uh the bodyguard who she at first was kind of like a cliched like i'm a bodyguard but apparently now that she's gotten a chance to talk to him he's kind of deep he's got some feelings and emotions and and maybe there's something about the, him we don't know so she takes off and she realizes that this caper is all about the jewels and so she's going to go check on those jewels uh and she ends up getting slightly zapped as she enters the room and it turns out that Dr. Doom was in there, and uh, he just kind of gave her a warning shot, and he's like, you are just a human, and Doom doesn't uh, hurt civilians, so don't worry about it, but uh, you should probably go on your way. Dr. Doom gives a little bit of background on these jewels. Apparently, these jewels are the Merlin gems or something like that, which we last saw in what the editor call calls uh, an issue of Fantastic Four that we could not possibly afford. That was Fantastic Four number five. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> a little presumptuous. These events occurred in a comic book uh, none of you could possibly afford. And anyways, so he wants to get that back. And so as Dazzler's listening to the story, she says, no, I won't let you take those jewels. He's got a plan. Like, he's going to take this jewel and do something. I don't really remember what it was, but it's going to give him some power. So she tries to dazzle him, and it doesn't work, and they start shooting at each other. Uh, And eventually, Dr. Doom shoots Dazzler, and she passes out. Dr. Doom takes the gem and kidnaps Dazzler, thinking that, There's probably some good that can come of having her as a hostage. And he flies off. Dr. Harry Osgood is mad that uh, Dazzler hasn't hit the stage. And that's where the issue ends. Wow. Who knew that so many supervillains were into rock music? (laughs) No kidding. 
<laughs> so it's it, it is also a multi-part Doom issue. So is, in the Marvel universe right now, are they trying to expand their Doom brand? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> so anyway, there you go. Nothing really happens in this issue that means anything to of consequence. How's that? Which takes us straight into Avengers 207. Very similarly, uh, a city pops up in the middle of the Mediterranean. And as Beast and Wonder Man are closest, uh, Wonder Man acting in a spaghetti western in Italy. Um, he has brought Beast with him as company. And um, apparently Wonder Man is not a very good actor. And the director is almost fed up with him. And the director speaks with a... Uh, cliched Italian accent. <laughs> Why can't you act? Uh? <laughs> oh, God. Um, so the uh, Shadow Lord is the only resident of the city that has appeared in nowhere, and his ancient Roman enemy, the Berserker, was defeated by forcing Mount Vesuvius to erupt and fossilize him in boiling lava. And uh, his people were immortal gods, but they decided that since Mount Vesuvius destroyed an entire population of people, that they were too power, po- powerful, so they gave up all their powers. Um, but they decided just in case uh, the Berserker ever returned, they would give all of their powers to... They would put them inside the city that... Um, makes the Shadow Lord immortal. Um, the Avengers manage to defeat and kill the Shadow Lord by destroying the city. And then they figure out that the Shadow Lord was actually there just to stop the Berserker. They all feel stupid and bad for being assholes. <laughs> and uh, and then just, just at the same time, the Berserker is excavated by a team of archaeologists. And uh, that's where that issue ends off. Not, not too much happening, unless you enjoy the hijinks of Wonder Man and Beast. Yeah, could take it or leave it. Uh, also, this month, ROM 18 came out. Uh, if you remember, it was a two-parter, second part from last issue, uh, where the, uh, the X-Men have arrived and decided that ROM is the evil mutant that Cerebro detected, and um, the little... The little boy, who is actually a hybrid human slash dire wraith, is the actual mutant. But he's pretending to be a, a harmless little boy and hoping that the X-Men kill Rom. Um, Wolverine attacks Rom immediately, saying that he's going to get him with his adamantium fingernails. What? <laughs> That's bad. Um, the uh, the with the boy slash hybrid. Uh, I guess that's his name, is hybrid, creates a blizzard that even Storm cannot control, and she she realizes that somebody else is controlling it, but she can't figure out who, and all she does for most of this issue is hold back the Storm from keeping the X-Men from getting totally blown away. Um, however, she can't keep it from uh, making it so that they can't really see each other. Uh, Wolverine realizes he's holding back on attacking Rom because the strong stink of evil doesn't seem to be coming from Rom, but from somewhere else. Um, Now that Kitty Pride and Hybrid are separate from the rest of the X-Men, Hybrid reveals himself and attacks Kitty Pride, 
who phases through Rom and uh, to escape and makes Rom nauseous, being as that he's part robot. Sure. Uh, Storm continues holding back the blizzard, um, but none of the X-Men can see, so they don't know what's going on with Rom and Sprite and Hybrid. Uh, Wolverine pops his claws and they go, Snick, S-N-I-K. Who wrote this pile of garbage? <laughs> uh, Colossus is worried about Kitty and thinks to himself that Kitty is special to him. Oh. Colossus tackles Hybrid, who immediately, by when he gets touched, when he touches Hybrid, Hybrid overrides his powers and uh, turns off his metallic skin and also leaves him without air. And Nightcrawler has to perform CPR on Colossus. No, it's hot. I did not know Nightcrawler knew how to do. Uh, Wolverine finds Rom and continues slicing him up, but is still holding back. Uh, Hybrid goes after Kitty, thinking she'll make a good experiment for crossbreeding with another dire wraith. Gross. Yeah. Uh, Kitty finds Wolverine, explains that Rom isn't the bad guy. Uh, Wolverine finds Ron, all all this is happening in a blizzard, so like nobody can see each other. So keep that in mind. Um, Wolverine finds Rom's neutralizer gun and says, "The Canuck Secret Service trained me to use any kind of gun, but the gun backfires as it's not meant to be used by a human." And the only thing that saves Wolverine is his adamantium skeleton, which absorbs the impact. Almost broke every adamantium bone in his body, he says. Kitty is able to use the gun, however, because of her, quote, electrical energies. I don't know. <laughs> Hybrid is killed, and Rom, is, who is battling Hybrid at the time, is sent into another dimension, which I guess is uh, the gun has to, like, it's set to stun or kill or something. Um, Kitty thinks she killed Rom, and she's pretty sad about that. The X-Men leave. Storm guessed that Rom sacrificed himself and that it was very heroic. Meanwhile, Rom is in the dimension that he has banished all of the Dire Race to, and he can hear them all kind of giggling about how they're going to get him back. And that's where that ends off. Fortunately, the X-Men don't appear in the next issue, so we'll never know what happens to Rom. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> Uh, in Marvel 2-in-1, number 75, Ben Grimm is setting up the Baxter Mansion to play poker with the Avengers. Uh, meanwhile, in the negative zone, Annihilus and Blastar team up, and Annihilus has also captured and has the super adaptoid working for him. So it's a threefer. Hmm. And uh, Blastar's girlfriend is upset by the plan that Annihilus has to uh, essentially wipe out Blastar's people so that Blastar can regain control of his home world. Adam, so she says, uh, you're what? mispronouncing his name. It's Blastar. Oh, Blastar. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I forgot. <laughs> so Blastar's girlfriend calls, uh, she sends out a stress call that the Fantastic Four scan screen intercepts. And so the, uh, well, the alarm scares Beast, who jumps across the poker table, and Captain America says, down, Beast, which I thought was kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers and Thing uh, go into the negative zone and take on Annihilus' Ar Armada, 
and Blastar in space, and everyone but Thing, Cap, and Iron Man are taken prisoner pretty quickly. Uh, Annihilus's armada attacks Balur, which has three <laughs> U's. Wow. Blastar's homeworld. Blastar's girlfriend frees the and capture frees the captured Avengers and is killed by Annihilus as a traitor. Blastar witnesses this, but is more concerned with reconquering his home world and just lets it go. But he's kind of sad. Hmm. Uh, Cap and Thing defeat the super adaptoid. Uh, Annihilus's army is bested by Blastar's secret army, who I guess Blastar, Blastar secretly recaptured his home world months ago. And this was all a plan to steal Annihilus's cosmic rod, which he does, but... He's still sad because his girlfriend is dead. Sure. Then the Avengers go home because they run out of time that they have allotted to be in the negative zone, but they bring the super adaptoid back with them, and that's where that issue ends. It was kind of a downer. Yeah. Crazy. Any Anything else? Nope. Those were the three issues that I read for June of 1981 to coincide with our – or uh, May of 1981 to coincide with X-Men 145. All right, then. Well, uh, until next time, the danger room is closed. Danger room.